Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the very first episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. This podcast will focus on the most notorious, the most high-profile, the most gruesome murder cases that made headlines in the state of Maryland. Each episode will also profile an unsolved homicide or cold case in Maryland that needs special attention and needs to be solved. This season, season one, child murders are profiled. This week, convicted child murderers Carpio Espinosa Perez and Aiden Canella are profiled, as well as the unsolved murder of entrepreneur Destiny Harrison. On Thursday, May 27, 2004, during the mid-afternoon, just a little after 4 p.m., parents Ricardo Espinosa Perez Sr. and Naomi Mimi Quesada came back from running errands to their two-bedroom apartment at the Samister Parkway Apartments in the 7,000 block of Park Heights Avenue in Northwest Baltimore. There, they share their home with their two kids and at least eight other family members. This part of Northwest Baltimore is a mostly quiet area where a lot of Orthodox Jews call home and the local residents commonly refer to the area as Jewtown. Ricardo had forgotten his key to his front door, so he knocked on the door. When no one answered the ground floor apartment, he was able to lift a kitchen window and get inside. At first, the only sound heard throughout the neighborhood was just the hum of the cicadas that came that year. Then the scream started. The parents had just discovered that their eight-year-old son, Ricardo Espinosa Jr., and their nine-year-old daughter, Lucero Quesada, and their nephew, 10-year-old Alexis Quesada, were all dead in the small apartment. All of the kids had been beaten, strangled, and had their throats cut. Two of the kids were partially beheaded, and one of the kids was fully beheaded. Left in the home alone, the kids apparently had been killed shortly after they came home from their school at Cross Country Elementary, where they were active third and fourth grade students. The body of two of the kids were found in one bedroom, and another child was found in the second bedroom. Naomi, who didn't speak English, screamed and convinced the neighbor to call 911 in broken English. There's blood all over my apartment. They've killed my family, a woman relayed to the 911 operator. Baltimore City Police arrived on the scene a little after 5 p.m., and when they did, they were so overcome with the scene of blood and brutality and death and mayhem that they had to walk away. An aluminum baseball bat and a fillet knife with at least a 10-inch blade that was used in the murders was found wedged between a wooden fence and a garage that was in the back of the apartment complex. Because it was the middle of the day and word spread quickly throughout this quiet neighborhood that there were three dead kids in a home, a large crowd gathered in, out in front of the apartment and a woman told detectives that she had seen two suspicious men who came out of some bushes dressed in all black, 
that had been looking in windows and canvassing that neighborhood that same week, just two days before the murder. As there was no sign of forced entry, detectives started questioning family members as they all started showing up at the apartment complex. One of the kids' uncle, 22-year-old Parlacarpio Espinoza, and their cousin, 17-year-old Aiden Canella, who was a butcher at a slaughterhouse, when they showed up at the scene and detectives questioned them with a Spanish translator in the rental office of the apartment complex. Both Parlacarpio and Aiden lived in the same home with at least 10 other relatives and uh, on Bedford Avenue in Pikesville, which was just a few miles from where the kids were killed. All of the family members were from a small village in Veracruz, Mexico. They did not speak English and they had entered the United States illegally. While they were being questioned separately, detectives noted that it looked as though both Aiden and Parlacarpio had wet hair and they were recently showered. Aiden told the detectives that he hadn't been to the home at all, but when they questioned Parlacarpio, he told the detectives that he had been working and when he got off, Aiden told him he had something to discuss with his uncle, Ricardo Sr. Paula Carpio said he drove Aiden to the apartment around 4.20 p.m. and he stayed in his parked Pontiac Grand Am in the back of the apartment complex. He said he waited in his car while Aiden went inside the apartment. He told him that he saw Aiden leaving out a window in the back of the apartment 20 minutes later after he went in. He said Aiden wasn't wearing a shirt when he came back and he climbed over a fence to get to his car and when he did, he ordered him to drive around the block and to pick him up at Northwestern High School, which was adjacent to the apartment building. Parlacarpio told him that when he picked up Aiden in the school's parking lot, he asked him about his missing shirt and leaving out the back window, and Aiden told him that he had been playing with the kids and the shirt got dirty, so he took it off. The pair then drove to Fells Point, where Aiden brought a new shirt. He said they were walking around in the area when they got the call that something had bad had happened at his uncle's house. That's when they all drove back to the home and were brought in for questioning. After telling this information to the detectives, detectives were able to obtain a search warrant of the home that they shared in Pikesville, as well as the car that they drove. During the search of their home, detectives found a pair of Route 66 blue jeans that was stained with blood in the car they found two gloves and a pair of no boundary jeans that also had blood stains. DNA from one of the gloves matched with Parlacarpio and from one of the murdered children. DNA samples were also taken from the no boundary jeans and that DNA was linked to Aiden and the children. A small drop of blood that contained Lucerio's DNA was taken from Parlacarpio's shoes on the day he gave his statement to police. Naomi who had only been in the country five months, told the detectives that she believed the kids were killed by her niece's husband, a man named Jose Luis Salas, because he had threatened his niece in the past. The theory was never pursued, and Paula Carpio and Aiden were arrested and charged with the kids' grisly murders, based upon the evidence that was obtained from the detectives. In August of 2005, after a Baltimore jury reviewed over 300 pieces of evidence and deliberated for over 10 days, the trial ended in a hung jury after they could not make a decision. A year later, 
in September of 2006. Both Aiden and Paula Carpio were convicted of conspiracy and first-degree murder during their second trial. The judge called the murders a message for others and said that the Paula Carpio and Aiden killed the kids to send a message, although nobody ever knew what that message really was. He sentenced them both to life in prison while they both maintained that they were innocent. Most of their family members believed in their innocence, including the victim's parents. Prosecutors theorized that the murders were committed because the entire family came into the United States illegally and owed people money. The kid's father, Ricardo, disputes this theory because he said he didn't know anybody any money and he already had been in the United States for seven years already with no problems. Why would illegal smugglers take so long to attack? While serving their life sentences, in June of 2011, their murder convictions were overturned by the Merlin's highest court, which was the Court of Appeals, and the court basically based their decision on errors and mistakes that the judge made in their second trial when he didn't tell attorneys about five notes that the jury had submitted to him. During their third trial, they were tried separately this time, and in April of 2013, nine years after the killings, Parla Carpio was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and received a life sentence without the possibility for parole. In August of 2013, Aiden, to avoid a life sentence, accepted a plea deal of a 30-year prison sentence for three counts of first-degree murder. He became eligible for parole in 2019, but his parole was denied. His earliest release date is June of 2029. Even after the sentencing and the plea deal, both still maintain their innocence to this day, and no real motive was ever really established. This case is notorious in the state of Maryland because of the gruesome nature of three children being beheaded in their own home in the middle of the day by, at the time, some random person that no one knew about. This case was also notorious because at the time of these murders, I lived in an area not too far from uh, the murder scene uh, and it was quiet. This area was quiet. Uh, that stood out right away because it wasn't like a, a child killed in a drive-by or uh, you know a child dying by the hand of child abuse uh, resulting in death or something like that um, which is what is commonly seen in Maryland this particular case these kids were almost beheaded um, and it was more than one child at that so it made it notorious for Maryland it stood out there were three high-profile trials uh, these, I believe the first two trials, they were represented by uh, pro bono attorneys. And I believe in uh, the innocence of both of uh, Aiden and Paula Carpio. I hate to say it, but uh, I have been studying murderers and their characteristics ever since I was 12. And I'm a lot older than that now. And um they neither Aiden or Canella showed any major characteristics to me that would have shown that they were capable of committing such a grisly murder in such a short period of time. Neither one had criminal records. Uh, they didn't have a history of violence. They didn't have a pattern of violence. They didn't have um, uh, the DNA that 
investigators found on both Aiden and Canela to me was sketchy the way they extracted it. Um, there was just no real motive, no real proof that was eye-catching to me. Because I was so interested in this case, I did reach out to both Aiden and Paula Carpio to ask them their side of the story to see if they were would relate to me what happened or how did this affect their life. Some of the questions that I wrote to Paula Carpio, I asked him in the letter, I asked him, um, you know, how has he been treated by his family so far with all of this? Do they still support him? Um, I asked him, how has life been like in prison facing a charge like this and also being held in solitary confinement for so long? And, um, you know, what does the future hold from him? Um, in uh, 2018, uh, Paula Carpio was convicted of an additional assault charge while incarcerated. So who knows what the conditions are like that he has experienced in North Branch Correctional Facility, which is a maximum prison facility. Um, I did, his uncle did reach out to me via Facebook and told me that uh, Paula Carfield did respond to me. He did write to me as if uh, this time I still have not received the letter. Uh, they told me at the uh, North Branch that there had been restrictions on the mail regarding because of COVID. So once I received response to his letter uh once i receive his letter i will make the contents of it available to the list my listeners i also wrote to aiden and asked him um basically if he was innocent why did he plead guilty to the murders of your his relatives um and i asked him also you know how his prison changed him how has he been treated by his family you know what are his plans upon release um you know, how his life has treated him in prison and if there was anything he would like to say to the public as well. As of yet, I still have not received a response from Aiden. I would imagine that he's probably not going to respond, especially if he's focused on getting out. He probably wants to put this behind him and to move on with his life. I did read in the Baltimore Sun that uh, both Aiden and Paula Carpio learned English while they were uh, incarcerated. And upon Aiden's release, anyway uh, he is to be immediately deported back to Mexico hopefully he will respond to the letter I sent and once he does or if he does once again I will make the contents um, available to my listeners I don't believe that Aiden and Canela committed this crime I believe that it was committed uh, it has Mexican gang or Mexican mafia written all over it um, I don't know what it was linked to but I just don't believe that in this particular case that the prosecutors had the right defendants um, arrested for this, this crime this week's unsolved homicide is 21 year old des 21 year old entrepreneur Destiny Harrison Destiny Harrison was scared terrified really she was scared for her life and she was scared for her business. Just days before the 21-year-old hair salon owner was shot and killed in front of customers and her one-year-old daughter, she had reported to police that a man and a woman had picked the lock to the door of her salon 
and she came upon two people robbing her of her expensive stuff worth around $3,000. The robbery had occurred in her salon in the 200 block of North Milton Avenue and McElroy Park in Southeast Baltimore on December 9, 2019. She told police that as she was being robbed of her expensive hair products, one of the robbers held her down while the other one punched and stomped on her. Still, she demanded her stuff back. She even reported to police that she personally knew one of the attackers who lived in, near the salon and was a, was a hairstylist and makeup artist herself. Both of her attackers were later arrested and charged with assault, theft, and burglary. Less than two weeks later, on December 21, 2019, four days before Christmas, around 6.12 p.m., someone walked into the salon and shot, shot her several times in the head. 911 was called and she was rushed to a local hospital where she died. Listen, people, this one right here hit home. I mean, she was doing everything right. This was just like not a t normal, not the usual 21-year-old female. She was extremely ambitious. She was focused. She was hardworking. She was a go-getter. She knew what she wanted from a very young age. And she, she was on her well, well on her way to get it. She was a single parent. Um, she was a 2016 graduate of Mergenthal Vocational High School, where she was known as the girl who got you straight with all the hairstyles, the decent edges, the expensive hair weaves. I mean, she had worked at Popeyes, Walmart, and Victoria's Secret. And this is all in her, all while doing hair. And this is while she created the Madame D Collection website in 2017, where she sold expensive hair bundles of hair. She was also a business major at Bowie State University, and by the time she was 21, she was a licensed cosmetologist with her own hair salon, which she named the Madame D Beauty Bar. After she was killed, Baltimore-raised boxing champ Javante Davis paid for her funeral expenses, and to honor her memory, a scholarship fund was set up. Why is this still unsolved? This crime occurred mid-afternoon, well, mid-evening, in front of witnesses, in front of customers, in front of her daughter. Um, when I spoke with her mother, she told me to make this even worse, she had to find out about her daughter's death on Murder, Inc. Child Protective, Service, Child Protective Services did have her uh, granddaughter for a while, but uh, she was able to obtain custody of her. Um, as I stated before, this was not her mother deserves justice for this case. I mean, I can relate to her finding out about her daughter's death off of a website as I found out about my father's death, my father's murder off of the news. No mother, no parent, no relative should have to find out about their relative dying that way. Her mom is also upset over the fact that because this crime occurred in front of so many witnesses that no one has come forward. No one has said anything. She still does not know the full details of what happened. She does not know uh, what her daughter's words were, the circumstances leading up to her death. No one will come forward. You know, Baltimore is sometimes known as, we're the, the crab state, but this can also have the crab mentality where you see someone being successful, you see someone, maybe one of your peers, uh, living good, uh, living right, making 
good decisions, staying out of trouble, doing all the right things. And your peers will tend to be jealous sometimes. Sometimes they're jealous if you're not living as foul or as bad as they are. And sometimes they're just jealous over your spirit, over the your ability that you have to rise out of certain situations. This 21-year-old seemed like she was well on her way to doing that. And that came with a lot of jealousy, a lot of envy, envy, people that are envious, and people that simply want what you have. When I did speak with her mom, she does not believe that the robbery is has anything to do with her daughter being married. She murdered. She does not believe that there is a link to her daughter's murder um, with this, uh, with the robbery that was reported just days early. Maybe that's true. Who knows? But someone needs to come forward. Someone needs to talk about what happened during this case, even if it is anonymously, even if uh, you don't have to take this to trial or anything like that. Just for the, the mom's sake, someone needs to report what they saw, what happened during this crime. You can write it anonymously, as I stated before. You can send a text. You can send an email. But the way to get in contact with detectives, you can also call at 410-396-2100 and speak with detectives regarding the Destiny Harrison unsolved murder case. They will actually be glad to hear from you. You know, every podcaster's dream is to either exonerate someone who was wrongfully convicted for a crime that they did not commit or to solve an unsolved homicide case. Let's make that a possibility for this podcast and also for this case involving the unsolved murder of Destiny Harrison. To stay updated as to future episodes of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, please be sure to tune in next week while I will profile and examine another case of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. Thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by Real Life Productions. Thank you.